welcome to another edition of the Search Engine Journal Show. This is Danny Goodwin, Executive Editor of Search Engine Journal. I'll be your host, and today you'll be hearing another installment of our ongoing Better Known SEO Pro series. Uh, my guest today will be Dave Davies, the CEO of Beanstalk Internet Marketing. Before I welcome in Dave, I want to quickly talk to you about ShopSEJ.com. More than 1 million SEO and marketing pros visit Search Engine Journal every month. If you want to advertise your brand or product to the Search Engine Journal audience, then head over to ShopSEJ to find the right product for you. We offer email campaigns, editorial content, and a variety of sponsorships such as ebooks and webinars. You can also become a sponsor for the very podcast you're about to listen to right now, the Search Engine Journal Show. We have monthly and quarterly packages available now. So, uh, And actually, we've got uh, our first sponsor already. So uh, if you're thinking about sponsoring this podcast, stop thinking and do it before someone else beats you to it. Uh, and by the way, we've also got a great deal uh, right now for advertisers. If you buy three native ads, you will get one totally free. That's a great deal. It's 25% savings. So uh, if you're interested in uh, advertising on Search Engine Journal, visit shopsej.com uh, to find out more and find out what our other advertising partners already know, that SEJ advertising works. In today's edition of Better Know and SEO Pro, I will be talking to Dave Davies. Dave is the CEO of Beanstalk Internet Marketing. He's been working in SEO for 19 years and at Beanstalk for 15 of those years. You can read him every month on Search Engine Journal, and he also writes on his own blog on the Beanstalk uh, website. He's also been a contributor for Search Engine Land and Search Engine Watch. He's a, a regular speaker for PubCon, SMX, State of Search, and a handful of other conferences. And you can follow Dave on Twitter at Beanstalk. I am Dave. Welcome to the Search Engine Journal Show. It is great to have you here today. Well, thank you very much, Danny. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm quite looking forward to this discussion. Um, and to kick off, um, I typically start with the childhood, but I want to just sort of kick off because there's something pretty unique about you uh, compared to many people in this industry. It's in that you haven't had a lot of jobs. You've mostly been doing one thing for 15 years, which is kind of odd <laughs> for our industry. Uh, and then, of course, is running Beanstalk Internet Marketing. So I wanted to sort of start there with you uh, and tell me a little bit about Beanstalk Internet Marketing. Um, you know, sort of maybe we could start with, you know, what's been the biggest change for you, um, you know, today versus when you started Beanstalk 15 years ago? Whew. Yeah, I, mean, you, you, I know you've been an editor. Heck, we've worked together. So I know you know. Uh, um, sort of what I'm going to be talking about here, and, and you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will as well. Everything, right? Like what's changed? Everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, uh, when when I when I started the company uh, back in 2004, um, we were still like I was a white hat SEO. We were a white hat company, and trying to you know do link building. But at the time, we were still competing against companies that were successful using things like forum spam, right? Like mm -hmm. that was, that was what we were up against um, at the time, or, you know, keyword density was still a thing and, <laughs> you know, all of those things. So um, it, it's, it seems to me sort of what have, you know, taking the advertising angle aside is that Google finally seems to be catching up and, and, and getting very close to having caught up to what they were telling us 
all along we were supposed to be doing, right? Like produce good content and it will rank. No, it wouldn't, right? Like I was keyword stuffing and it worked, right? Like that's what happened. Um, you know, and it wasn't great content and it really didn't matter the quality that much as long as it was like linked a lot from forums, whatever, right? So whereas now, yeah, you have to produce good content, get good links, right? I'm not saying there's not, you know, black hat, gray hat, you know, sideways ways to get it, but I think it's a lot better playing field and a lot more integrated playing field. I mean, I remember when I when I started in, in 2004 and was doing some, some training before that and, and working in the industry, you just, you did SEO, but all of it, just, just all of it. And you probably did paid search too, but it was Overture, not Google, right? Like you, you did it all and, and you were just an internet marketer. And the idea of that now is just absurd, right? Like the idea that one person should be able to do the entire from, from content to site development, to SEO, to the coding, to you know, the paid search management, right? I mean, it, we get to specialize now. And I think that's great for the people, for, for, for people who are doing it right now, because you get to just do that one thing and do it really well, <laughs> as opposed to back then, you, know, you really didn't get that opportunity. When I, you know, started the company, I was like, all right, I'm doing paid search. I'm doing this. It was all a lot simpler back then. It was like learning a computer on a VIC-20, right? But, <laughs> um, you know, you, you had to do it all as opposed to now. I think that's one of the big changes is, it actually requires, um, you know, a, a breadth of, of um, you know, sort of skills that it would be one person can't really have, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want to do SEO in JavaScript, it's a totally different thing, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, so it's, 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 I think that's probably one of the big changes as far as, as a company and, and, and what we're doing. Um, is just, yeah, that, that diversity of tasks out. And, and to me, it's kind of fun. It lets me sort of settle into what I love to do um, as opposed to what I have to do to keep a client. Mm -hmm. So what sort of triggered you to go out uh, and start your own company? Um, you know, in part, it was the cockiness of, because I was working for an SEO company and a web hosting company at the time, like going back 2000, 2002, mm -hmm. um, I was working for an SEO company and it was that cockiness and I'll, I'll call it cockiness. And I think every entrepreneur has that of, well, I can do this better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I can, I can see what my, what my boss, um, a man I've, I've grown to have a huge amount of respect for Ross Dunn of, of Stepforth. Um, and I worked there with Jim Hedger, your friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just that sort of like looking and, and sort of seeing what he was doing and going, ah, oh, you know what? I, I can do this, right? Like I, I, I'd like to do this. I don't really want, I mean, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I didn't really want to work for somebody else. I'd rather work for myself. And as far as I'm like looking and sort of seeing what's going on, it was like, oh, I can move this forward faster. And then you start a company and you go, oh, Oh, there's a lot of other things. Oh, right. Okay. That's why I had to sit for two hours every week and deal with books, right? Like, oh, that's what <laughs> the reality sort of floods in and you go, oh, okay, actually, I have a lot more respect for what he was doing and the hard work that went just into being a company, let alone you know, doing everything else. But that's what really sparked it was just that cockiness of just going, I can do it better. And I think, I think everybody sort of has, I can build a better mousetrap. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm glad I did. It worked out well. Um, but at the same time, through the hard work of, of the first few years there, I gained actually a lot of respect for some of the employers, including Ross, um, that I'd had at the time went, oh, oh, okay, that's, 
this world is different. It's, you know, anybody who's, who might be thinking of, you know, going out on their own, it's hard. (laughs) It's a lot of hard work for very little reward at first. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's sort of what, uh, what sparked it. And I guess I'm glad I was cocky, but I almost kind of wish I kind of knew what I was getting into. Probably still would have done it, but mm-hmm. maybe a little wiser. Sure. <laughs> so where did the name Beanstalk come from? And was that there right from the start or did that come like a little after you started? No, it was there right from the beginning. Um, it was um, Mary and I. Uh, who, who who started the company together? That's my wife and, and business partner. For listeners, I know Danny. You know her. Um, we were walking through uh, just through New York, like just down down the streets of of New York, um, and we were just talking about starting a company at the time, mm-hmm. um, and just sort of going, "Oh, okay, this would be this." Anyway, um, up and I still remember it was an ING building, um, and up the ING building was this massive probably plaster or plastic or whatever beanstalk. And there was really low hanging clouds and it was evening. Like it was about probably one in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, there was low clouds and this beanstalk went into the clouds ah. um, up this wall. And it was actually Mary, not, not me who just looked and went, that's the name. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then that was the name. I sort of like immediately went, yep, up to the beans. Got it. Right. Like the, the, there's no, guessing at what that means <laughs> it just it just we all know jack and the beanstalk so um so yeah it it uh, it was just sort of born out of a we happened to be talking about the right thing at the right time in the right place and uh and uh, and came up with the name very cool so when you started 15 years ago like i don't know if you had a long-term plan but you did you think you would still be going like doing this yourself 15 years later um I, I I did, yeah. Okay. Um, the idea of retire, like I, I love what I do so much, um, that the idea of not doing it mm-hmm. um, is is just sort of not an option. I was actually just chatting with uh, with my grandmother um, yesterday about that. I you know blessed she you know I got to hang out with her a bit yesterday um and was just chatting with her about it and I'm like even if I won the lottery I'd probably you know do it different I'd probably just find a charity and do it free right or whatever but um I, I love what I do so yeah even then I did um you know would I do different things in that 15 year gap oh yeah <laughs> like we all would hindsight's 2020 but sure. mm-hmm. um but yeah even then and looking forward in another 15 years provided that you know everything keeps going the, the way it's going and you know everything you know god decides to be favorable on me mm-hmm. um you know I, I i hope that i'm i'm still doing it and i mean heck you know i, I quite honestly I'm, I'm blessed with with some great clients i'd love to still be doing it for the same people or, mm-hmm. you know we'll see how that goes <laughs> i'm just really lucky in having a you know we have a great client list so Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, it, that makes it easy to go. Yeah. I'd love to still be doing this in 15 years. And, and even then, yeah, when I was planning, I sort of went, yeah, that's, that's what we'll be, we'll be doing. I'll, I'll still be doing that. It might be different. I wouldn't have heard, predicted being exactly where I am right now. Um, you know, in some ways I, I'm more successful than, than I thought I would be in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, like it's just different. So different wins, different losses. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's it's great. <laughs> it's a great industry. So uh, you know, I, I I knew that then, and and I still know that now. Yep. 
Cool. Um, so you, you said something interesting that, you know, if you could go back, you would change some things. So that, of course, sparks the obvious follow-up question. What, if you could go back and change some things about maybe some of the early struggles you had and, not, you know, knowing what you know now, um, what would you what would you maybe go back and try to avoid? And, you know, this could be good advice, too, for anyone listening who might be thinking going out on their own. So, um, yeah, what, what, would, what would be something that pops to your mind that, you know, oh, if only I knew then what I know now? Um, probably the biggest one for me. Um, and this is this is just me personally. Everybody will have their own unique challenges. But the, the biggest one for me was and a hard lesson to learn was I'm not a great boss. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm a great director, but I, I have this tendency of going, okay, let's all just be adults and, and I'm going to trust you to be an adult, right? And, and just do your own thing. So that doesn't necessarily lend itself to being a fantastic boss or, or certainly I wasn't in, in the early days. Um, and so growth was, was slower than it could have been if I'd come in and been, I'm not saying you need to be a jerk, right? But if I'd been a little more demanding and a little more not micromanaging, but a little more Hands firm. Um, yeah, I exactly. In what needed to be done and not trusting people that just because I work hard doesn't mean everybody works hard. Right. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. And going with the, I'm going to lead by example doesn't work if yes. the people aren't watching or not caring enough. And I don't blame employees for not caring as much as a business owner. They shouldn't. Nobody's job is to like my company as much as me right like it's, it's my job to do that but mm -hmm. um but yeah that, that's probably the biggest hold up probably the biggest thing that that held us back um in in certainly in the earliest um parts of our evolution was just not um not being quite firm enough and then having to to do more work than than might have been necessary which is of course cutting profits and so we didn't grow as fast early on as i think we could have mm -hmm. cool so what keeps you passionate about your business you know, and it's, it's search engine journal is, is part of this. Um, every morning I wake up and, and the first thing I do is I look through a, a variety of, of feeds and search engine journal is, is one of them. And, and Roger Monty is, is one of the people that, that helps me stay passionate every day with, with a handful of other people, you know, Barry Schwartz and, and the such. Mm -hmm. um, and every day I wake up and I go through my feeds and I read everything that's happened in the last 24 hours. Um, and I do, as you know, I do a weekly podcast and often so much happens that we do it weekly and we're supposed to cover the week's news. Often we don't get through a 24 or 48 hour period, sure. yep. right. Of, of yep. the major things going on. So if your interests are varied and, and mine are, I love paid search. I love organic. I love development stuff. I'm not an expert at all of these things, by the way, but I'm interested in all of them. Uh, so I get to watch everything that's going on and sort of watch how the, how the, the pieces sort of fit together and watch the SERP layout changes um, that, that Google's, you know, sort of putting in place or, or you know, Bing adding, adding some new things to Microsoft advertising or, or whatnot and sort of go, okay, and, and with that knowledge, because we, we have so, so long in this industry, that knowledge of going, okay, I don't just see what you're doing right now because it's not in isolation. I know what you did before and I see where you're going, right? And sort of just following that, like every day something new happens, every day a plethora of new things happen and they're all interesting and then your brain can start to put them all together and see how the pieces fit together and you're sort of like, oh, you're adding that carousel there, right? Eh? Okay, 
ads coming into that carousel in three, two, right? Like you <laughs> sort of watch these, these sort of transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, the, the big one for me is voice search um, and, and an interest there. And, and actually, um, Roger sort of touched on some stuff, I believe it was yesterday on, on voice search a little bit or came out of Search Engine Journal. Anyway, um, or at least yesterday, as this is being recorded. Um, you know, so it's really, really quite a, quite an interesting sort of field. And I think it's that ever changing nature, um, that, that really makes it easy to stay passionate. Um, of course I pay attention to certain things. I'm I'm predominantly a a technical SEO. Um, you know, so naturally I lean to digging deeper into those, those areas and, okay, here's what JavaScript's doing or or whatever, you know, here's this nightmare of, of dealing with analytics or what, whatever, but um, but all of it is, is interesting. And, and the layout changes is probably one of the, the areas that I think is most fun to sort of watch and sort of go, oh, okay. you know, today they, you know, as, as of this recording, they, you know, changed how news lays out. Okay. Why? Right. Like, and, and always just asking that question. And that's what gets really fun is you see a change and you go, why? Like, like what, what are they accomplishing? Sometimes it's just, well, it was on mobile and we want to blend the way the two look. Yep. Fair enough. But sometimes you have to look and go, okay, are they trying to keep me in that walled garden, right? Like, are, are they trying to, like, show me a shiny thing to stop me from from doing something somewhere else, right? Like, stop me from going to Facebook, so show me a shiny thing in the search results to, to stop me from doing that. Um, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, since we mentioned Roger, he actually had a question for you. Uh, Roger Marty, of course, is one of Search Engine Journal's newswriters and the owner of martinibuster.com. This question for you, what advice do you have for those wanting to grow their SEO business? What are the habits to cultivate for success? You know, there's probably two um, at its core, and, and one is grow. Um, and one is, is sustained growth, right? Um, so to sustain growth, which is, is the most important thing, like to me, it doesn't, growth without sustainability is, is irrelevant. Um, so it is just, there's a reason why every morning, first thing I do, I actually schedule it in from six to seven o'clock every day is read news and catch up, <laughs> like make sure I understand what's going on. Um, and if I'm not doing that, read something, right? Like just dig deeper into something. Um, and that's the sustainability. You need to be constantly aware of what is going on. Um, if nothing else, especially if you're in paid search, by the way, but especially if your competitors aren't, right? Like, <laughs> massively, like if you know something your competitors don't, then your ROI is higher, or the ROI that you're offering to people. But as far as actually getting there like what i've just said would sound a lot like the old google well just build good content and links magically happen no they don't right like so understanding everything is is kind of irrelevant having the best content sitting in your head is is kind of irrelevant um if nobody knows that you have it right so then it comes down to do you manually link build to to use that analogy again um and google says no i i say yes but um in that it's finding a mechanism, a realistic mechanism for building your brand reputation, of course. And, and that just sounds like a default answer. That sounds like links just magically happen. Um, no, I was lucky when I started, there were very few writers, right? Or, or, or certainly there were journals all over the place and they were happy to accept anything. And duplicate content wasn't a big problem at the time, right? So we're going to, a, to an era where 
I was lucky entering in because I got to hit the ground running and sort of just distribute these articles all over the place. I, I didn't use automated systems, but you know, I, I got a lot of a lot of attention early on um, simply by casting a wide net, and, and I could do that. You can't do that anymore. Um, but what you can do, and I, I work with clients to do this in, in their own niches, is you start at a realistic point and you go, okay, you're starting an SEO agency. Well, you know, whether it's, it's search engine journal, search engine, like whatever, any, any of the, the, the publications, business.com, whatever, um, all of them want great material. You just need to be a producer of that great material. And I'm not saying inundate Danny right now with your requests, folks, because you need to really, really solidly prove yourself um, before you try and pitch one of the, the top tier. And that's what I did just in a, in a sort of sideways way. And I didn't know it at the time was starting out at, you know, sort of the, the, the lower level, starting out going, okay, I, I'm going to first start publishing on my blog. Then we're going to enter in at um, you know, what would have been the ISEDP at the time. You know, folks listening right now will be like, I don't even know who that is, except for like a few people who, who might remember who they were, but, um, you know, or, or Web Pro News or, or whatnot, um, that were sort of a, well, I guess Web Pro News at the time would have been a, a mid to, to upper tier, but, um, you know, sort of starting in at a realistic entry point, but then quickly working your way forward, basically like you would at any job. Don't go in, you know, if, if it's day one and you've just started an agency and, yep, you know a lot of stuff, and then send Danny an email and go, I know lots of stuff. Can I write for you? No, the answer is no, right? Like, <laughs> uh, sorry, Danny, I'm answering for you here, but, but if I was in your spot, I'd be like, no, you can't because I know nothing about you. And if I vet every one of these things, um, then, then my time is wasted. And Dave's probably going to send me a 4,000 word article and I need to deal with that right now. So, <laughs> um, you know, so I, I think, you know, if you start out at the lower tier ones, start out on your own blog, but then start out on the lower tier ones, quite honestly, the, the, the barrier to entry, they're, they're not proofing it quite the same, if at all, right? So that's where you need to show you're awesome and then just work your way up. Now, if somebody's published on some of these great, you know, mid and upper mid tier publications, now, you probably, hopefully, have Danny's attention to begin with because he's seen your work somewhere as, as across the radar because I know you, you look around and, and read things outside a search engine journal as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if you're coming forward going, okay, I'm, I'm published on all these places, you know, I'm sure you see that in a pitch and some of them are just crap. I get them too, but, and I'm not even an editor like <laughs> you are, so I feel for you on this one. But, yes. you know, if you're seeing some good stuff, um, you know, and, and presenting the, 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 the key data, like if they were able to come back and I, I guess I'm asking you a question here, but this is how I would, if I was pitching an editor like you, but I'm unknown at the time would be, okay, here's the series of pieces and actually giving you the, and here's how many views it got. Here's how many shares it got. Here's the rankings, you know, piece got, but actually give you the data you need to make an educated decision on, okay, this writer knows what we're dealing with. And know what we're trying to accomplish, you know, and um, they're actually obviously knowledgeable about what they're trying to accomplish, right? right. They, they they know that we, you know, you know, most of the journals, search engine journal include. I don't, don't actually know how your 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 monetization works, but it I assume advertising, which is, is most of them, and sponsorships. So you don't have to answer that. I'm just sort of like, you know, thinking out loud here. Um, you know, 
it, then it's going to be about page views. So if you're providing those statistics and it, it's funny, I actually learned part of that and, and started presenting it to, um, to clients and passing it with clients through to when we're pitching some places for clients. Um, when I was judging the U S search awards last year, um, and as I was judging, the ones that really stood out were the ones that gave me just the core metrics that let me know they understood not just their own job, but they understood what my job was right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Like their job when they're pitching you is to give you the information you need, not tell you what they love about themselves, but give you the data you need. And, and those tended to be the ones that won. Hey, pro tip for anybody who's submitting a search <laughs> award. <laughs> Put in the data that we need, not just what you want us to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, so that's that's sort of a technique that I, I think if I was trying to build that brand, that's what I, I would do. And it's going to cost some money, um, or it's going to take time. It, it's an either or. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can you can accelerate it with money, um, and and not a lot. I'm not talking. You know, when 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 I started this company, um, we literally went to a government um auction like a not an auction but like the where they get rid of stuff um and, and i bought a computer there it had a 30 gig hard drive but like that's that's where we were at so i'm not talking a lot of money i had very little of it um but i put probably half of our startup money which would have been like a couple thousand dollars including like registering our business so not high end but probably put about half of that into marketing and the other half into just bare bonesing it with like a couple crappy computers with CRT monitors, <laughs> just whatever it took that would just function and, and get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then quickly, um, you know, sort of upgraded it. <laughs> as soon as we started actually having some money coming in, right. um, you know, upgrading from there. But uh, sure, yeah, that, that would be, I suppose, the advice I would give is, is start realistic and, and move forward. Just like you would with rankings, right? Like mm. if I'm going and, you know, if I'm trying to rank right now for some stuff for the holidays, and this is top of mind right now for, for obvious reasons, because this is the time that we should be thinking about the holidays, um, as far as SEO goes, you need to look at it and go, all right, I need to get from here to there in this timeline. Okay, let's be realistic, folks. You're not ranking for gift cards you know, right now, unless you're like Amazon <laughs> or like, you know, eBay or something. So be realistic and, and set your expectations up your starting point. One day you can have the big things, but set your goals realistically. And I think that's, you know, find in those entry points to publish on some podcasts to speak on, um, you know, realistically at your level and then build an acceleration path forward from there, able to react very quickly. Um, you know, and there are resources like Harrow right now and stuff that are just, they weren't even available to us at the time. There were elements that were cheaper, but there's resources available now that you can just sort of tap into and go, okay, um, you know, answer some questions on Quora, go into the Google forums and answer some questions there because the experts are going to see you answering questions there, right? Those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, another reader question from Nava Hopkins of WordStream, also a search engine journal contributor. She asked, as one of the nicest people on earth, how do you deal with clients and peers who are less than ethical and polite or kind? Um, well, let's we'll start with clients on that one, because that's just, just an easy one. Um, I had a client swear at one of my staff um, once, um, and we fired them. So that's how we deal with that. 
Good. Um, and it's just a, it's funny because if they'd sworn at me, I probably would have taken it. Um, you know, because their, their direct, you know, frustration, I guess was, was with us. Um, but yeah, you, you don't do that to, to my staff, right? <laughs> and so we, you, you, you fire them because you can't cross that, that line. You can't be, which was funny because about two days later, um, we got an email, um, or I got an email going, please let us back, which was kind of funny. And we didn't, um, just, you got to draw that line in the sand and go, that's this far, no further, mm -hmm. um, to, to sort of take from a, you know, next generation, uh, Star Trek quote for, for people who might've missed that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, with peers, um, you know, and, and it does happen. There's, there's people who like each other. There's people who don't like each other. It's going to happen in, in any, you know, any given environment. So, um, you know, there will be people who like you, there will be people who don't. Um, and generally I think most of us, because we're marketers. Um, and so I guess it is sort of a, a perk is eventually, like I I've seen my share of blowups. I've been involved in them and I, I've just seen them, you know, unfolding, um, sort of in front of me where I'm just like, okay, I just don't want to get hit by any shrapnel here. Um, you know, when that happens, most of the time, once, you know, cooler heads prevail, I guess it's because we're all marketers and it is such a sort of tight knit community. Everybody just sort of seems to go, let's just ignore each other. And then they do <laughs> just, just, okay, let's just, we don't like each other, but it's okay. There's, we have to be in the same room at the same time, but there's enough of our friends that we don't have to talk to each other. Right. Like, and not even necessarily, I think it just eventually lends itself to, to that, which to me, I think is a good thing because otherwise you've just got these, you know, horrible things that just cascade on and on. And I'm sure there's some exceptions. Fortunately, I, I don't ha I'm not involved in any, right? Like I don't, I don't have to deal with this. I'm sure there's some exceptions of longstanding, like I hate you's floating around somewhere out there. Oh, sure. uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm glad I, I'm not involved. And from what I can see, and, and maybe I'm wrong on that one, um, from what I can see, uh, people sort of, you know, step up um you know when they have to be in a room together there's a conference and there you are <laughs> like okay let's just ignore each other we don't like each other but you know let's just pretend the other person isn't there basically treating them as if they're just somebody you know we're some random person and and off you go which you know i guess is, is a good is a good way to deal with that because not every issue can be dealt with right like it, you know we can all pretend you can sit down on every problem and sing kumbaya and 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 hash things out that's not going to happen every time really right. so if you can just choose to ignore each other <laughs> then, then that's it and that's pretty much what i found ends up happening i don't think i'm actually one of the nicest people um but that's just me but you know nava actually might be one of the nicest people which is why she said that <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, so, you know, credit back to her, but, um, you know, yeah, I, I think we, we would all probably face that. And unless you're willing to be, you know, uh, there are people who are harsher, but that happens in any industry and, oh, yeah. you know, that'll get a little, a little, a little chaotic, but I think you just need to keep your cool. Like when you are in those, in those problems, as much as you can, just keep your cool. Don't say anything you're going to really regret. Right. And, and don't go like talking, you know, I've, I've had issues and I never go, you know, running and bad mouthing people, you know, all over the place because, well, first, that's not my nature. But second, 
it would come back and bite me in the butt. Right? Like it just, it just would. And rightfully so, right? Like you don't do that. You don't trash somebody else's reputation just because you don't like them. Right. <laughs> so, yep. um, anyway, but that's sort of the best answer I can give to that one. Yes, sir. Good advice. Um, so now I'll let you brag a little bit. Do you have a uh, sort of a greatest achievement uh, at Beanstalk or like a favorite professional memory or highlight moment? Uh, something that just stands out the most from your career? Um, you know, probably I, I don't know that it would be one for, for everybody, but one of my fondest memories, I had a client um, years ago. Uh, like like many years ago, and and he had a, a wonderful approach to marketing. He's the one that actually first taught me because it was his approach. He did internet faxing, by the way. Like if you're if you're wondering what it is, um, did internet faxing, which is a lot like hosting, right? Like it costs a lot of money to acquire a client, but then you make money ongoing from from that client because now they have your phone number, right? Like they, and that's their fax number. Anyway, um, he was a wonderful wonderful guy. Taught me a, a few things about like just different approaches because his approach to paid search was it, it just needs to pay for itself. That's all. Like it just I don't care if it just zero sums out. I don't need to make a profit off this. I'm just trying to take money away from my competitors. <laughs> like great. Right? Like absolutely great approach. Um, you know, in, in his, because his competitors were bigger than him. So he just was like, I don't, they don't need more money in their war chest. Um, but through a, a few years of us working together and, and watching his company grow, um, and, and the, it is a sort of bragging moment. Like he was nowhere and nobody, right? I mean, great guy, you know, decent, you know, good. He was making money, but you know, not, not a major player. Um, and over the span of three years, um, the only reason we stopped working together is he sold his company for millions. Um, and I got to take, and then he passed it on, but take a, a certain pride because he was a great client. Like, I really, really liked him. I, I still think fondly of him. And every year I send him an email because I have an alert with just like a, on his birthday to just sort of like, you know, hey, happy birthday, man. Like, how are things going? And then sort of check in on him, um, which is great. Um, and then he gave like payouts to including us, like all the like people who were involved and, um, in, in making them there, he was that nice. Cause he didn't have to do that. Um, but that's probably my fondest was, and, and we all kind of have them or, or hopefully have them, but where you have clients who are great, right? Like they're just, they click with you. You really like them. Um, like you like who they are. Um, you, you like, you know, what they're doing, you like their approach to things, right? I mean, it was the one client I would end up talking politics with. I never do that, <laughs> ever. Um, but I would end up talking politics a little bit. That was his fault. He kept doing it, so I couldn't help myself by the end. Uh, <laughs> just like, all right, this is what we're doing. Um, you know, so it, it was just one of those, okay, this is, this is wonderful, and you're ending up good. And I think that's consistently one of my favorite things about my industry. Now, I'm 2004, I didn't get to pick my clients. <laughs> like, just, I, I took, if you said, I have money I want to give you, <laughs> unless it really violated an ethic, like, if it was, like, gambling or porn, right? Like, that was about it. But other than that, I'm like, I didn't really care if I liked you, I'll, I'll, I'll work with you. Mm -hmm. um, we just had a couple where it's like, we don't work in these sectors. And that's just, that's just that. And that's, I don't begrudge those sectors. It's just, these are not, I don't feel good. Um, at the end of the day for, for having done this. So I'm not going to work in these sectors. I don't begrudge people who do. It's just my choice. It's like, I don't, 
begrudge black hats for being black hat SEOs, as long as their clients know what they're doing. <laughs> but I don't do it. It's not in my wheelhouse of, of tolerances. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably my, my favorite thing though, is you end up with these people and then you're helping them build their company. And it's pretty consistent, but it's always that one that I, that I remember is the thing I'm probably most proud of because I really, really liked him and got him to a point where he was selling his company. Like I, I won't disclose it, but for a lot, <laughs> just a lot. Like, and I'm like, and now I'm retired, right? Like that, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a great feeling at that to go, Oh, I, I built that. It's not to say I'm the only person that could have built that, but I did build that. Yeah. So it, it, it was, it was great. Um, and for such a, for such a great person, if I didn't like him, I, I probably wouldn't remember it now, <laughs> but I did really like him. So, yeah. um, so I do. Very cool. All right. So you also mentioned a little while ago, Webcology, uh, which yeah. is, you've, you've been co-hosting with Jim Hedger. Am I correct in thinking it was around 2011 you started or was it earlier? Um, we we started, I believe that one we started in about 2011, okay. um, but in 2006, we did one called The Alternatives oh, on the okay. same network. Okay. Um, and it was actually because there were different search engines that mattered then. Mm -hmm. That was a show about them. Oh. You can, obviously, we can see why that didn't matter anymore. <laughs> there kind of aren't. There's like DuckDuckGo, and that's about it. Unless you get international, then, right. then there's a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you started that when it was called, I believe it was called an internet radio show too, right? It wasn't a podcast. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. It was, yeah, it's like Webmaster Radio, right? right. Like it, was, yeah. it was radio. Yeah, so I was looking through your archives, and it looks like you've done, and I, I know I'm bad at math, so my math might be wrong, but it looks like you've done about 300 shows. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that, that does sound about I think, actually, you're, you'd be just about spot on. I think it was just a... A few episodes ago, we crossed the 300 threshold. Oh, wow. Congratulations on that. Um, Thank so, you. So how did, how did Webcology sort of start? Uh, how did you and Jim come up with that? Um, you know, we, we, we had done a show together, and that show was created. Um, Jim worked for a company. That company was creating a show on, on the network. And okay. so Jim was like, hey, and, and we worked together, and we liked each other. He, he lives on the other side of the country and did at the time, like we'd already, we'd never see each other anymore, but we talk once a week, right? Because of that show. Mm -hmm. um, and he sort of called me up and was like, I'm doing this. I want to co-host. You want to, you want to do this? Um, yeah, sure. Sounds, sounds like fun. Right. And that's one of those take advantage of every opportunity because this is 2006. I'm still not somebody, right? Like I'm not, nobody would know my name in the industry. <laughs> It's like, so great, take advantage of that opportunity. And I got to actually piggyback off the fact that Jim was, had about two more years experience, had spoken at conferences. I still at that point hadn't um, spoken at any conferences or anything like that. So, um, you know, it, it was, I was really, really lucky um, to, to have been offered that chance. And we did that and it ended up, you know, closing out, right? Like just like, it was the alternative and all right? like it, it was not, not a bad, it was a great show. Like in my opinion, but that's just you know me patting myself on the back. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it it had to it came to its natural conclusion, mm -hmm. um, and then there was a, a hiatus for a little bit, and then the network, um, you know, we we got an opportunity to to do another show together, um, and then that uh, we sort of were were going back and forth on what we were going to cover, 
Um, and having done a show, we knew what we wanted to, but that one didn't have a format that just sort of let us talk about whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jim actually credit to him came up with webcology. We're covering news. And then often we'll have on guests to talk about specific issues. Really, it just lent itself to whatever. It didn't pigeonhole us into things because we wanted to be able to talk about, you know, hot topic sort of at the time, net neutrality, right? And we, we interviewed, um, you know, senators to, you know, on net neutrality and stuff. Or, or, but at the same time, I can just talk about a SERP layout change or we can have on somebody, you know, to talk about social media strategy or, you know, it, it let us sort of talk about whatever was, big at the time like right now here's here's what's really really interesting uh because jim like me just is sort of interested in it all but he's not an expert at all of it i think jim is is like a content artist. that's his expertise and he's fantastic at it but he's still interested in everything <laughs> so um so it just let us both have that sort of forum to go whatever it is whatever guest i feel like i want to have on mm-hmm. um you know i can pull them on because it fits the format of our show which is just, if it matters to internet marketers, it matters to us. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So over the years, and of course, as everybody you know has really hopped on the, the podcast bandwagon, especially in the last few years, have you sort of changed how you approach your show? Or uh, how have you sort of seen the show evolve just naturally over that time period? Um, we're very, very fortunate because we keep making lists. Um, like of 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 ones to pay attention to so we haven't really had to change our format um too much and a lot of that is just because we keep making these lists so let's not change too much right like first segment we cover news if we have a guest that's the last two segments if we don't we expand on it in the last Mm -hmm. two and actually dig into issues right so um you know and and if we change the format um it, it yeah, it's one of those, like, I don't know, if you're ranking in position two, should you optimize more? Yeah, no, right? Like, just, there's so much room below you right now right. and not much above you, yep. right? So just just do what you're doing and, and keep doing it. Our listenership keeps going up, um, you know, and, and, and we keep getting new um, new networks, sort of, well, I guess not networks, but new avenues picking up, right? Like, some people can listen live, but most download. Um, you know, through iTunes or something like that. And the numbers keep getting higher. So, yeah, we just, we try and bring on more and more interesting, well, not interesting, because all of them have been interesting in, in some way or another, but, you know, better and better guests based on now, right? Like, and that's not to say they're better than people we were interviewing two years ago, but the more topical to, you know, so trying to stay on top can give me some, that I can't share, right? Like who knows stuff I don't know? Okay, let's pull them on <laughs> and have them talk about stuff that that I don't um that I don't know, right? Like we've had on Roger to talk about because he's in depth on this stuff. Like he does some great writing, right? right? Like he gets a lot of kudos on our show often. We mention his name almost every show. Um, you know, and then does these sort of deep dive into you know, neural matching or something. And it's like, but in a very palatable way, it's not deep dive. Like here's 20,000 words. No, it's a right. deep dive, but it's, you know, summarized in like 1100 words, but it's like, here's what you need to know, um, you know, about that. So then drag him on and sort of go, all right, now, now you have time for 10,000 words. <laughs> let's, let's get into this now. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good. It's, uh, it's, it's, and it's, you know, it's a lot of fun and I use it. 
it as a force. Like I mentioned, every morning I, I get up and I, I start sharing stuff on Twitter and I, I catch up on the news. And it, it's great because then on Thursdays, as I'm prepping for the show, I just look at my Twitter stream and go, that's what happened that week. Mm-hmm. Um, but which also lets me go, is my Twitter stream good? Like, is that good enough? Did I miss stuff? Because Jim and I'll share stories right before the show. And it's like, oh, okay, he had stuff I didn't. Maybe I need to look at new sources. But, um, you know, or sometimes you don't. Um, but it is a forced time to not just share something um you know and not just send it out on twitter but to go okay let's summarize this whole week in my head and it forces me to to sort of reconcile it and be able to talk about it intelligently like completely formulate into a a a real thought what just happened not just in a okay i kind of like my brain kind of knows how to deal with this and it takes it in as information and moves on which we all know there is kind of a difference right like you hear something the way your brain locks that in is very different than when you're having to present it, right? Anybody who's ever done a conference and had to stand on stage, once you've had to put it into a format for other people, um, your brain sort of solidifies around what, what a concept actually is. And it forces me to do that once a week and go, okay, I need to be able to actually talk about this. Now, sometimes Jim will just throw something at me out of left field and I have to get a very, very passionate opinion about something I didn't know existed 15 seconds before, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which is, which has happened, but, um, you know, and and usually that's the stuff Jim throws at me, right? It's like, Oh, okay. And you know, whatever Twitter's down, (laughs) it's like, okay, well, you know, now we have to cover this and then what that means to, you know, network and you know, okay, well, you know, Barry's got nothing to do now, um, you know, or whatever, but, uh, but yeah, anyways, I may have droned on a little too long on that one, but, uh, <laughs> hopefully there was some value in it. Sure. Um, do you have a favorite episode or a favorite guest probably that stands out from, or just even like just one moment or something that just stands out where you always go, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> um... Ooh, no, it's it's hard to to go. Oh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know pinpoint a specific guest. Okay. Um, <laughs> just because like okay, well you know, but I had so many guests, and I'll probably miss one who who like did did a fantastic a fantastic yeah, sort of buried in my you know the memories from like five years ago or or something like that. Um, but my very favorite episodes to do, and and they they happen well, they'll happen a lot this fall. Um, is when I'm at a conference and there is no specific guest per se that, that mm-hmm. will lock in because each one is interesting. But when I'm at a conference, um, I'll try and run around like the conference floor and get five to six minutes sort of mini interviews Okay. Um, with, with, with a whole bunch of the speakers and vendors, like vendors. That, and I'm like, Oh, okay. I didn't know that existed, right? mm-hmm. which happens at conferences. It's great. You're like, I had no idea we could do that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's fantastic. Um, and, and get a bunch of those. And then we'll sort of create an episode of just like, and here was PubCon, right? Like 2019 or whatever it is. Um, and those are kind of my favorite um, ones because I get to talk to people when they're extremely excited and it's not over 40 minutes. So they're not getting less excited as things go on. But like, mm-hmm. it's just as a guest, I, I, like I, I feel for, for them because yeah, by the end of 40 minutes, you're starting to get a little tired, right? Like of this sort of like rapid fire, depending on the personality, but some guests you can tell it's like, okay, you're just like, your, your brain is getting tired now, right? They, <laughs> you have on somebody and you're like, 
diving into like something legal or something. It's like, ooh, okay, yeah, you're, you're getting tired. But, um, but those ones, you just get this rapid, they're super excited. You're only talking to them for five minutes mm-hmm. about something that they're, they've just gotten off a of stage, they're pumped. Um, and so those are probably my favorite interviews to do. Um, and I never run out of questions. <laughs> which which can happen on some way. You're like, okay, I really started this interview with two questions I wanted to, to talk to you about. Right? Like, and then that happens in a bunch of them where it's like, I really want to have you on the show. I really want you to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And then you're heading into like, we do that, that guest for two segments. So you're heading into that second segment going, I don't know, like, Jim, do you have something? I don't, do you? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're going to have to make stuff up now. Um, you know, and then that can be rough where they were incredibly interesting, shared an incredibly valuable bit of information, but you know, now that's shared. So now what? <laughs> and that can be tough, but that, that doesn't happen in those ones. And let's be honest, conferences are just kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, I'm having a lot of fun already just existing and then, um, you know, learning a bunch of stuff and I'm super excited. And I think that comes across in the, in sort of the interviewing. So that's, that's probably my favorite time, um, when I'm doing them and yeah, we're going to, yeah, you'll be at some, um, you know, we'll be going to conferences. So I'm, that's part of what I'm really looking forward to is pulling out the microphone and, and running around and mm-hmm. I'll probably rope you in on one of those, but it's okay. Sure. It's only five minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and just see how the sessions are going for you and uh, you know, what you're talking about and stuff. So anyway, that's uh, yeah, that's, that's my favorite, my favorite stuff to do that. And just, just to be clear, the correct answer was Danny Goodwin, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> because yes, I famously was on just one episode of Webcology, which was a really fun episode, by the way, that's when I got to announce that I was leaving search engine watch. And I just remember Jim Hedger. Jim Hedger was just going crazy, like, "Oh, I can't believe we got you on." Blah blah blah. So that was a very fun. Yeah, show. and he, and he I, I know those are those are. Oh yeah, I should have actually just struck that and gone. Oh, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. Here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but instead, I've roped you on to uh, you know to do some interviews for another one. So Absolutely. now you, now you won't be able to say one. Right. We'll have to say two. This is true. <laughs> yeah, it's been too long, man. That's like five years ago. <laughs> Yeah, that has been. Well, you just need, not actually meaning this, Danny, because it would be traumatic for the entire industry, but you just need to quit. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren Baker just had a heart attack. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> um, cool. So um, sort of along the same idea, there was actually a reader question, not about Webcology, but about uh, your article writing, um, Brody Clark of Brody Clark Consulting was wondering if you had a favorite article you've written for SCJ, um, any standouts that you especially enjoyed the research writing process, but I'll, I'll even open this up wider. Like if you just have generally a favorite article or two and we'll throw a link in the recap post for you. Um, probably my favorite article, um, Oh, that's tough. You know, just like the one that I look back on most fondly, um, but it, it's more just out of a, a humor. It's not the best article that uh, that I had ever written, um, but it, it does make me sort of chuckle, um, is when I wrote a, I, I said I'm going to do, and you'll remember this because I can only imagine you were like, oh, crap, um, <laughs> is I had written a year-by-year summary 
of Matt Cutts type uh, of Google. You probably already know where you're going, where I'm going with this. I do. Um, and it crossed over. I, I sort of chronicled the top two years or top two things he did every year. Um, and then what I love about that piece, and this, this wasn't for SEJ, this is before you were at SEJ. Search Engine Watch. When, uh, when you're a Search Engine Watch, yep. um, was knowing that Danny now is being faced with a over 10,000 word article. It was funny because when I was starting, I was like, I'm actually, quite honestly, I was really tight on time and I was like, I'm just going to bang something out easy. This will be easy. But, like, <laughs> I think everybody has been there. It's like, all right, I'm just going to plow through it. No, it ended up dragging out of three days. I was working evenings just to get client stuff done so that I could get this thing. And then you ended up having to split it into three articles. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it was so big and, and break it up in years. But my favorite SEJ article um, that I have written and it got, it got a lot of backlash. It got like a lot of people going, I don't like that. Right. Uh, of course you had to write that. Yes, of course I did. Um, was the very first piece I wrote, mm-hmm. um, for SEJ. Um, and I think some people just read the title and went, you shouldn't have written that. Everybody says that. And it was the death of organic search as we know it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it was probably the most fun. I know it, part of that was just, okay, it, it, it got a lot of shares and, and views, right? Like, so there's part where I mean, I'll have that. I, I don't feel embarrassed, but I do. There's a party that's like, oh, look at that number rise. I'm going to be, and I was, the top article of the, the month. But like, great. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's part of that that's just like, oh, that's fun. Um, but that is also when I decided, oh, okay, I need to have some fun with featured images for SEJ articles, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I get to like have some fun because it, it had a good featured image, or at least I, I think it was. Yes. Um, but it was also a lot of um, fun to write. Like it was academically very interesting for me as I was writing it because I wasn't saying organic search is dead. I'm still an organic SEO, but right? like I wasn't saying it was dying. Mm-hmm. But as we know it, right? Like that it is changing. We were talking about some of those changes just a little earlier, um, where you know we've got SERP layout changes. I, I did um, one conference, um, and it was actually PubCon in, in Florida. Um, I, you know, got up on stage and one of my slides was actually a bunch of my slides in a row. I just chronicled each one, each slide, a change Google had made and I fired through and it was 17 slides and that was the month before, right? So these are such rapid changes and that was just SERP layout changes, 17, one month, right? Like it just was such rapid, rapid change. And that was more what the article was talking about was. We have featured snippets. The layouts are changing. The way information is passing is changing. We've now got voice search, so you don't even have a visual, right? Like in, in, in a lot of cases, right? So that form of it is dead. And, and it's one of my favorite concepts um, in, in search is just that change, that we're not just paying attention to algorithms. We're paying attention to people. Right. And, and, and what they're doing, right. The devices that they're using them on um, is, is one of the most fascinating things and, and aspects of it to me is, is that, that change. Right. And, and Google's doing a good job now. And so is Bing credit to them. We never mentioned them, but Bing's doing some, some amazing things and their engine is actually very, very strong. Um, they just don't have the market share, right? but they should anyway, you know, hat tip to Bing. Cause I, the folks over there are doing, doing a really, really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but Back to Google, because at the same time, we all care about traffic. So, <laughs> um, you know, that, and, and that's, that's where the traffic is. But, um, and Google has the aspects that, that we need, what we're talking about right now, is 
you know, they, they have the, the home device. I, they have the, you know, the, my phone, right? Like my phone is an Android. I walk around with like a voice search functionality, um, you know, in my pocket all the time. There's a few device crossovers I'm kind of waiting for. I was chatting with it recently on my show with, uh, with Jim and sort of going to big because it, it just came out as of, as of the time of this recording. Um, the, the voice search is picking up a lot faster, right? The, the, commerce and shopping on voice search is picking up faster than, than was expected. Um, which I mean to the thing that I'm most excited for in voice search, because this is, this is where we make a big leap in, in users, right? Like this is, this is where it all, in my opinion, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, but in my opinion, this is where we make a massive jump because user behavior is about to change. And I think when that's going to happen will be when that, switch over on devices is seamless. And, and when people understand, it can be seamless, but people don't have the devices or they just don't have the habits yet to do it. But when I can start a query with the Google Home on my desk and then go, okay, uh, you know, cast that to my TV because I have a, you know, a cast, right? Neither the TV inherently will be built to do it or you have a Chromecast. Um, and then continue your shopping and build up once Google's good enough that we've built up that trust. I'm like, okay, I want red shoes. Right. Okay. No. And with a penguin on them, right? Like whatever. Right. And, and it's filtering system. It will actually be easier. Right. So that's, that's the point in time. And I think it's coming in the not too distant future, not, you know, probably not even 2020, but um, it, it'll be coming in the not too distant future. And that crossover, well, what does my keyword data look like then? Right. Because now it's absolutely human, you know, interactions, right? Like a, how, how do you even know what my discovery was if it was an actual discovery that just started with me talking about something I want, you know, show me shoes. Okay. No red one. Right? Like if it becomes conversational, I don't know what my search console uh, query data is going to look like, uh, but it, it's not going to look like it does right now. Sure. And I think that's going to be a big challenge for marketers and for um, Google to try and give us that data because once voice search really starts crossing over, um, into a, a dominant um, sort of function. And I, I don't think it'll be the most dominant in the you know, short term, but um, it, it will become dominant enough to be incredibly important. Once it crosses over, now we need those metrics. How do they present them, right? And I, I have some ideas, but we won't get into those here. I, I, hey, there may be an idea for an SEJ article. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I have some ideas on how they might present that information to us, but um, it, it's going to be, it's going to be tough and it's going to be a challenge for marketers, but you know what? We dealt with them pulling keywords out of analytics. We'll yep. deal with that too. For sure. Uh, so let's switch gears a little bit and talk speaking and conferences. Um, you mm -hmm. mentioned earlier back in the mid two thousands, you still hadn't spoken. So, um, when you finally did speak, um, Sort of take me through that experience. Uh, do you were you nervous? Um, uh, you remember like what do you remember most about your first speaking experience? And then um, from there, maybe you can uh, give some advice to people. Um, you know, basically what you've learned over the years from from speaking in terms of you know what would be your best advice for people who want to eventually get on stage. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's it's important to be able to do. Um, I, my first speaking was actually shortly after that, that podcast started. And by shortly, I mean a few months later. Okay. Um, and I was, I, I pitched, um, and was accepted to speak. I just written an article, 
um, SEO for the big three. Um, so Google, Yahoo, MSN, for folks who wouldn't remember what they were, but this was in 2006. Um, and so off I went to um, San Jose. Mm -hmm. um, SES San Jose um, in, in 2006 was, was my first conference. Um, aside from the fact that I was dirt poor trying to pretend like I had money, <laughs> which <laughs> was, was, was a rough challenge in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, probably the part that was hardest for me um, was I had never spoken before. What I didn't know, and, and you remember SES is in, in, in that, that, that point in time, they were, they were sizable. They're huge. Quite sizable. Mm -hmm. um, what I didn't know was I was on a main stage oh, wow. um, with Aaron Wall and, and a couple reps from, from the engines mm. um, to standing room only 1,200 seat auditorium. Wow. Oh my God. And I had never spoken before. I, I pulled it together. And what I discovered then, and, and I've heard it, I know Mary has the same thing, and I, I think a lot of speakers do. What I learned from that was right before I'm about to take the stage, I'm, and this is just me, you know, other people might not be, I'm going to feel like I'm going to be sick. <laughs> just full disclosure, I'm a nervous wreck mm -hmm. right before I take the stage. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually get on the stage. Now, once I'm seated, right, and, and, and with people, I'm a little more calm. The mm -hmm. second I start talking, it's gone. Right, like just nothing. I and now this is what you say, but right, like now I'm thinking about what I'm talking about. Now I'm not. Now I'm thinking about a subject that I love, and I've heard that from other people. And I think that's you know part of what if I was passing on advice um, to to people who are pondering speaking, it's a really hard thing to do. Um, you know, for one, because and not for not for everybody, but for some people, because more people are more scared of public speaking than death, right? Statistically sure. speaking. Yeah. That's, that's pretty powerful. Um, I'm not, right? Like I, I didn't actually know I was going to be terrified until right before. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm scared. Yeah. Right now I'm just used to it. And it's like, all right, this too shall pass, right? Like I'm with more experience and more times of going, okay, I know this goes fine. <laughs> yeah. I, this goes fine every time. Um, you know, it, it's, it does get lighter every time. And I, actually when I was in Florida, I don't even remember feeling nervous. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and part of that is experience of doing it. Part of it is, and now I know a lot of like my industry friends are here, right? Like you can actually see them there. Like, cause we do that, right? Like, you know, that I, you go there and you support your friends. Right? Like if you can, sometimes you're doing something at the time, right? Like would you often happens to me where I'm like, but I don't want to be speaking right now. Cause there's two other sessions that I want to actually go to right now. <laughs> But I've got to be on a stage at the exact time that, like, one of the people I really want to hear speak is speaking. Um, you know, that does happen. But if you can, we do tend to, to sort of support each other. I think it's yeah. for that. We all know it's hard. Um, and if you have a friendly face in, in the crowd, it does tend to make it a little bit easier. Sometimes it can be a little nerve-wracking. Um, I know I was, I was speaking um, once on patents, using patents. Um, for SEO, like how reading them and, and how, you know, and analyzing them can, can help you. And so I was sitting on stage and I had a lawyer from, from Google on one side. I had a lawyer from Yahoo on the other. And I had Bill Swosky, a friendly face, sitting front and center right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, if anybody's going to call BS, I am surrounded literally <laughs> by the three people most qualified to go, no, 
no, you're full of crap. <laughs> so sometimes a friendly face is nice. I had actually just kind of met Bill. I think that was 2007. And I just kind of met him. I knew I liked him. I didn't know he wouldn't throw me under the bus. <laughs> now I've learned, okay, no, this is how we all are. We don't actually, you know, purposely trash each other. We will correct incorrect information. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, Bill's not going to go, Dave. You're an idiot. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm on stage, but I didn't know that at the time. So that was a little nerve wracking. So friendly faces can, can be, uh, you know, a, a little, a little nerve wracking from, uh, from time to time. Um, but the one piece, if I had to give a piece of advice, I'm actually going to give, like, if I was just like, here's one thing, if you're, if you're going to speak, here's one thing to always remember. Uh, first prep, I guess. So here's two things. First prep, but that's just a given. Like, make sure you know what you're talking about, but don't over rehearse because then it just you just sound like a robot up there. But as far as really, what do you need to remember right before you're getting on stage? Because you're prepared. You you know that you know your stuff, and if you don't, you got a slide up there. It'll remind you what you want to talk about. Jim Hedger, right before I got on stage, and I, I credit him with a lot, as is probably clear through through this. I credit him in a lot of ways with a lot of the positive growth um, that I had in, in the industry because there were just a, a couple critical points in time where he helped me. And, and I like to think I helped him too, but where he helped me. And, and one of them was the, the day before, it was actually the morning of um, me speaking uh, for the first time and about to take the stage. And I'd now seen the room, right? Like I was terrified. Um, and he gave me the most important piece of advice uh, and it is a hundred percent true is nobody is there to see you fail. Mm-hmm. Nobody, mm-hmm. right? Everybody there wants you to do awesome. Mm-hmm. They do. They, they, the, the, the attendees are there to learn something. Your friends want you to do great. They like everybody, the, the conference organizers want you to do a great job. Everybody in the room is there to watch you succeed. Mm-hmm. Everybody. So if you can just remember that when you're taking the stage, it actually is reassuring um and a little trick and this is this isn't really like a tip because this is just a personal like something i found helpful but if you are taking the stage for the first or second time and you find yourself incredibly nervous um which you will make sure you have a bottle of water because you're going to get dry mouth i do every time that's why you'll always see me with a bottle of water when i'm up there um but one of the um things that i found really really helps is right before just get there early just like a, a few minutes early, not too early, right? Because there's probably a session ahead of you. <laughs> so not too early, but get there a bit early. And as people are seating, just walk around and talk to them. Mm. Just, just talk to them because now they're people. Yep. And if nothing else, you'll find one or two you like, and those can be your anchors for eye contact to make mm. sure that you're looking out to the room. Um, because you'll have already had a pleasant conversation. It'll make sense that you're looking at them. It won't be creepy. <laughs> um, but I found as soon as I started doing that, and I just realized it by accident because I'd gone out and started talking. Um, and it was on a panel where I was just like, okay, I actually want to know what you want to know because it, it was like a Q&A type panel, um, which I do find a lot easier on me than, than presentations, right? Just not like I'm sitting here and if I don't know something, somebody else's job is to answer it, right? Which is <laughs> fine. Um, but I went out and started asking people questions and I, I realized I, by the time I'd sat down, I, I had no nerves, right? Like I was just like, okay, I've done, like, this is exactly what I'm going to be doing for the next bit. I started doing that moving forward and just every time, just if I can, just go and talk to a couple people and works like a charm. It just really calms things down and it gets you in the habit of what you're about to do, which is just talking to these people. 
Because I, I tended to have this idea like I'm talking to 1,200 people. No, I'm not. 1,200 individuals are right now paying attention to me, but they're still individuals. Mm-hmm. I like, but it's still one individual human who is listening to me. It's not 1,200. It's not a mob about to rush the stage, right? It's, it's just a bunch of individuals um, who are paying attention. And if I know a couple of those individuals a little bit, if I'm anchoring on a couple of those individuals, now they're just individuals and I'm just having more of a conversation where I'm, I happen to have a big PowerPoint presentation <laughs> as part of that conversation. Um, so one thing I want to ask you about um, was, let's see, so have there, has there ever been a time in your career when you were truly struggling um, and how did you deal with it or overcome it and what did you learn from it? There, there have been a couple, a couple points um, and probably every entrepreneur has, has been um, in that spot where everything falls around you, like every, or it feels like it. It actually isn't necessarily happening. Sometimes it is and that sucks, but where it feels like everything is collapsing around you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in, in my case, we had one massive client that left. Like, and I mean massive, they, they you know, dealt with over 50% of our total billables, just this one client. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they left, right? And I had a staff and, and offices that I felt responsible for, right? Well, I mean, the offices, you don't have a choice because they get, but, you know, I didn't want to lay people off. Sometimes you have to, and, and there did have to be some of that. But, you know, it, it was one of those, until then, and, and maybe this was, it's why sometimes you need to evaluate, because in hindsight, I'm like, oh, no, that was more mental, was until then, every year I had a larger company. Every one, right? If I look from, from 2004, every year our revenue grew, every year our staffing grew, every year I was looking at like different offices, and that was the first time where I was having to let people go for economic reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I like I was looking at our office going, it's now too big. Right. Like, yep. you know, and, and, and what do we get? And I don't want to pay this overhead if I if I don't need it. And I didn't see an easy way to get that kind of, of revenue generating client coming in. Certainly not in a hurry. Right. So it, it really felt a bit crushing from an ego standpoint where I was just like, this is a failure, like a massive failure. I have failed my staff. I have failed me, right? I failed Mary, right? Like, cause it was my responsibility to get, I mean, it wasn't, and she didn't blame me, right? Certainly like we just, we all ran this thing. This is what happens, right? Like mm-hmm. the client left, like that was, we didn't do anything wrong. They just brought it in. How Like there was nothing wrong, but it, it still felt like a, a very large crushing failure that it did take time um, to get through it. Um, and one of the things we didn't have, and we have this a lot more now, and I'm actually going to give a huge, huge credit to SEJ for being a big part of it, um, is our community right now is a lot more, at least I think so, or I feel it, or at least maybe my segment of the community is, and it's a large community, so hopefully it's cascading elsewhere, is a lot more open to talking about challenges, certainly in like small groups, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, I mean, you know, there's like some specific Facebook groups and, um, there's the Friday focus over on SEJ where people can sort of talk about, about their challenges. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that at the time. So there wasn't really a forum. I still had to be 
amazing as far as, as, as anything I could present. Nothing could be wrong. There was right. nowhere I could go to go. I am stressed. I am feeling like a failure. Right? Like it, it's all hitting the fan. I don't know what to do. There, there just wasn't that forum at the time. Um, and nobody was doing it. Nobody was willing to talk about it. Um, and, and that led to, to a couple, well, a few, you know, significant, I think, or at least participated in it, some significant tragedies in our industry, mm -hmm. uh, an industry filled with people who are highly stressed, highly anxious, some, you know, sometimes, and then on top of that, not able to talk about it because we're all marketers, right? Who need to put their best foot forward all the time, right? So it leads to those challenges. And thanks to the work of, of people like you um, in, in creating this forum, we've ended up with a, with an ability now to have those conversations. So hopefully our, our listeners, um, you know, right now who, who are listening to this, to this show know that it actually is okay. And that even if you don't know where it is, you can find some, there are groups where you can sort of talk about it. I don't even mean help groups. Like, I mean, industry peers right? <laughs> that you can actually talk to them because we all, it turns out we all do. Right, like we all understand, we've all been there, right? Like you look at the most successful people, um, you know, they're they're like whatever, Rand Fishkins, or you know, people who made like gobs and gobs of money off this industry, and that's I'm using that as the term for success here, right? Is is who is success in the way we're we're talking about it in general in the marketing world, um, you know, you look at those people and they were crushed. Rand's actually pretty good for that. He actually publishes things where it's like, and here's where I screwed up and lost. Like, I can't remember what the specific number was, but it was like, here's how I screwed up $74 million. <laughs> okay. But having that sort of like outlet to, to sort of go, okay, you know, we're not all, we're not all perfect. People are screwing up. Mm -hmm. right? or, or it may not even be screwing up. People are having challenges just like you, and it may not be the same challenge. And that's what I really like about the Friday focus pieces that you guys run um, is it may not be the same challenge. It, it may not even kind of be something I've encountered, right? But it's reminding me that we're all, we're all actually just people facing individual things. And so when I face those challenges, like right now, I, I'm much more capable of going, yeah, this happened and it was brutal. And it took me a good couple of years to recover, right? Like, it just did like mentally it took me a good couple of years and, and basically in like writing and stuff, I was on autopilot. I mean, not autopilot. Like I still tried to do my best, but I wasn't looking for new places to be. I was sort of, you know, I wasn't trying to grow anything because it sort of felt fruitless uh, because I could never be what I was mm -hmm. right? in my mind. Right. I could never be, it was going to take too much work to get back where I was. Well, why? Why? Well, first off, yes, you can do it if that's your goal. But I actually had to start to question and go, why do I, why do I care? I, I, I have a, a good income. I have a job I love. <laughs> right. You know, I, I, I work with peers I like. You know, I, I, I have a great thing going on here. Yeah, my annual revenue, my annual revenue last year still wasn't as high as it was that final year with that client. Like it was, it was that substantial. And it was an incredibly successful year where I spoke a lot, did a lot of things, met a lot of people, had a great time, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and was rewarded with some great clients and, you know, that I really like. So, um, you know, part of it, I think, is understanding you can talk, like just get it off your chest to somebody. And if you don't have somebody, find somebody, right? Like find a, you know, a place to, 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 to have that outlet because yeah, I, I face that and I really wish that structure had been there for me at that time. Cause I, 
I would have still felt it, but I would have got through it faster. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I, I think, and, and I really feel for there are people who suffer from in, in our industry and, and we have a, a unique industry, I think in, in who it attracts. Um, but if I was say a person who tended to suffer from depression or something like that, it would have been catastrophic. Right. Right. But, but I don't, right. Like, and, and that's just a play. That's just a genetic predisposition. That's not good or bad. It just is. I don't, well, I mean, it is good. I'm glad I don't, but, um, you know, it's, it's not a superior thing. It just, it is what it is. And if I had suffered from depression, um, then that would have been, yeah, it would have been a catastrophic time. Whereas for me, I don't, it was just really hard, um, to, to deal with. So. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, so let's uh, go with a few uh, sort of reflective questions, uh, more fun questions. Uh, if you mm -hmm. were, if you weren't in search, what pro what profession would you like to be doing instead? Um, you know, I wouldn't go with my default because it would be a crap answer, uh, which would be marketing. But that's ba you're, I'm that's basically saying the same thing. I'm just going into print, right, like or, or something like that, like like typical. Um, my passion earlier on. Um, was politics. Like I went to school for political science. Oh. Um, and I, I probably would be not a politician, mm -hmm. um, but like my father was a policy advisor and speech writer. Okay. Um, and, and that's, I, I probably would have ended up going back to, uh, back to that route. Um, you know, assuming I didn't end up going into tech and like development, but again, I'm trying to stay out of the sector and go, right, if this right. sector didn't exist, if the internet had never been born. Yep. Yeah, I, I would probably be a, a politician of some type. Like, well, not a politician because I don't want to be a politician, but some kind of advisor, uh, you know, aid to a politician. What's the first piece of technology you remember being obsessed with? Um, now I'm going way back. Um, if we're going to count the typewriter as a piece of technology, um, I, I know my grandmother still tells the story of me at about four going, you know what I don't have? And she asked me what? And I said a typewriter because I really wanted a typewriter. Oh. Um, <laughs> why? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and what a, what a wonderful, wonderful life I must have lived to have that as the one thing I didn't have as a four-year-old. Right? Like the right. only thing I could think of that I didn't have that I wanted was a typewriter. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the first one that I, I really locked in on was, not counting like little handheld, you know, remember the like early, like late seventies, early eighties, sort of little handheld games that they kind of sucked. The first major piece of technology was a VIX-20. Oh, sure. yep. mm -hmm. um, and I was obsessed with it and it didn't come it, with cartridges. It came with a, like mine did anyway, um, like a tape deck that you actually recorded onto an audio cassette, your program and a book. Like my, I, I got, this thing to save programs on a VIC 20 and a book of programs that I had to learn basic and, and, and write um, oh, okay. some programs. Um, so that was, was sort of how I learned and, and I learned basic and later, uh, a few years later, um, I actually had to take French in, in class because being Canadian, that's just one of the things we have to do. And I took to, I would write myself programs that would ask me the, the, the sort of, here's the word in French, what is it in English? And then tell me whether I was right or wrong. And ended up finding by the time I was done writing the programs, I knew the French. <laughs> I spent so much time looking at the right answers and, you know, sure. stuff, but whatever, it got the job done. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's probably, uh, yeah, that was the first piece of technology I was just absolutely just amazed by mm -hmm. 
What's the best piece of SEO or professional business advice that's ever been given to you? Hmm. And who gave that, that's a really, really, really good question. Um, you know, notwithstanding, um, Jim, because actually, if I had to go to lunch, and, and we've already, I'd already mentioned it on this on this show, but other than that one, um, you know, Jim's piece of advice that they all basically want you to succeed, sure. right? Which which led to a lot of client, right? Like I got that large client at a conference. <laughs> you know, that's that's you know was, was probably the most lucrative piece of advice mm-hmm. um, that that I got. Um, you know, some of the most um, solid pieces of advice have come from sort of unexpected sources and, and there's no one, but they're constant. Um, Will Reynolds, um, hat tip to him. If anybody, if you don't follow him on Twitter, this is for the, for the listening audience. I'm sure you do. Um, he's a really interesting person to follow on, on, on Twitter because he puts out a lot of really quite realistic and, and, just normal advice. Like he's an incredibly successful, when Sierra interactive, right? Like incredibly successful, mm-hmm. um, but a really down to earth kind of guy in just a very realistic. Um, and, and to give an example, just like a, like a week ago, um, you know, somebody had posted out, like, if you're an entrepreneur, just ignore all the naysayers and just get it done. You'll never regret getting it done. Um, you know, and, and, and jumping in there and he then just sort of shared it and went, yeah, unless you fail and this is really hard. Right? I mean, he worded it a little more eloquently than I've just done it there, but just that like, no, this isn't all some big, like, well, I can't remember who it was, but somebody had like tweeted out like, this is like hustle porn, right? Like, and it's right. like, yeah, it, it is like, it's not just about do it and you can get it done. And the naysayers will, will, will all, they will just be in your dust because you are, you are that awesome. And that leads on the like survivorship bias, right? Like the only people saying that are the people that still have their house, but there are people who started companies who lost everything. And, and it takes those people for the entrepreneurs to win. I mean, not that there is a zero sum, but you know, it, it's like if you wanted to be a like major NBA star, 10,000 of you are going to try and how many of you are going to make the draft, right? Like it, it, only a handful of you will really succeed at the end, but it takes this, this many to, to, to start, right? Like, it's like duck hunting, right? You need to take a shotgun and fire out a bunch of shells. One or two of them are going to hit right? like, <laughs> like pellets rather, but like, that's just how this is going to work. Yep. Um, and just his, his realism in, 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 in helping to ground things because we, we see a lot of this, and I hate it too, the sort of, yeah, hustle porn, right? Like just do it and you can get this done. No, you may fail. This may cost you everything. You may regret everything. Right. Now, is it worth it? <laughs> and make that decision. And yeah. for me, it was, I went in very pragmatic and, and Mary like put the hammer down. She's like, we are never borrowing money ever. And we didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we never took out a loan to go, okay, if, we, if that slowed us down, it slowed us down, but we would never... It kept me in a spot where no matter what happens, uh, I've still got whatever I have. <laughs> I will never lose what I have, right? So that, that sort of protected me, and it did slow us down, 
but I zero regrets on that one. It's not right for everybody. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not giving financial advice there at all sure. because depending on what you're doing will depend on what you can do. I was starting a company doing SEO in 2004 when there was like a handful of us <laughs> doing that. It was a different world where that could be done. Now it would be different. If I was launching in now, I would do it different and I would need money to do it. Um, you know, so it, it, yeah, that's not take advice, but we got to do that. Um, but anyway, to get back to what your original question is, um, it would be following advice of people. He's not the only one, but of people like Will Reynolds that just helps ground you into understanding what the real world actually is like. You don't have to get caught up in just this BS do it, do it, do it. You'll never regret it. Get it done. You're guaranteed to succeed. No, you're not. You may fail. It's okay. You know, factor in your odds and decide what to do next, right? Like that's, that's it. Um, and, and Will, following Will on Twitter, he's probably the one that I'd go, hey, follow him. He, he's great to follow. Um, gives just that, he, he publishes stuff like that a lot. At the same time, he publishes some brilliant stuff on SEO. So, you know, as a backup, you got some <laughs> great right. stuff related to SEO. Um, but it also just helps as just this, you know, reminder that, man, you, you don't have to compete like that. Um, you know, that here's your reality check. Here's the way the world is. Um, just be the best you and, and you know, and, and, and do the best that you can do. And you're going to screw up sometimes, but, you know, it's okay. Just keep moving forward or, uh, as Will would point out, you know, hit the eject button because it's all going sideways and this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cool. All right. Uh, how about let's go the other end now. What's the worst piece of SEO advice that you you've heard or that you're still hearing that you just wish would go away and die forever? Uh, <laughs> um, oh, there's just oh that you, you know why that's a tough one. I'm like I'm just filtering through horrible pieces of SEO sure. advice right yeah. now. I'm like I don't know. Link building is dead. That could be one. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, and there's some that are, there's a lot of pieces of SEO advice that I find, I'm, I'm like, I get why people say it and they're half right, but they're technically wrong. Like, or we're there, we're both half wrong, but we're not communicating right. Um, and one of them that I, I like to refer to, and as soon as I say this, there's going to be a bunch of people like, he's full of crap. Uh, but wait till I finish. <laughs> um, but when you talk about something like keyword density, like for, for example, and, and I, I, I understand, I, I know where everybody, eyes, feel free to roll. That's, that's fine. Cause I've said a word that hasn't been said in probably, you know, like eight or nine years now, every now and then it'll crop up and somebody will talk about something about keyword density. I get it. When I started literally, and I would do it in front of clients and I'd go, here's what we're going to do. And I would take the top 10, I would find their keyword densities. I would take out the two lowest, the two highest count those as anomalies that were based on links, average out the remaining six and go, here's the keyword density we needed to target. And I would predict for them that if we do that, it's going to be 3.5. And I remember sitting down in front of my client and yep, 3.49 was the average, right? Like it just, every time it was 3.5, boom, done. We're not in that anymore. I'm not saying keyword density like that. It was a great day, mm -hmm. loved it. 
<laughs> it was fantastic. Um, you know, I, I, I look back on those days and go, oh, that was so easy back then. As an SEO, as somebody who had to use the internet, I hated me. Oh, but no. as somebody who had to sell stuff on the internet, I loved it. Um, but um, it, it's, it's those little pieces of advice where people say it doesn't count, right? Like uh, at all. Um, and, and it's one of those areas where we're both right because they are right. Keyword density is not a fact. Like Google isn't sitting there going, here's a keyword density, right? Like here's the number of times a keyword gets used. No. And we've got neural matching where you've got like opera effect counting for like, you know, TV resolutions or, or TV coloring, right? Like where we've got neural matching in, in place right now. Um, where it may not be the keyword, it might be like something you'd see in a thesaurus, right? Like, or, or something like that. But we know, and it's sort of how I, I like to think of it is, I know if I don't use my keywords or something that means the same thing at all, I won't rank, right? I mean, okay, links is an aside because you could game the heck out of that just to prove me wrong. But in a functional real world, 0% is too low. And 100% is too high. <laughs> mm -hmm. right like a hundred percent is your keyword every time so somewhere in there will be an amount that google will recognize as this is the amount of times that these words would logically be used on that page to discuss this subject it'll be different between every subject every intent mm -hmm. all of that so i'm not saying there's a density but there there you need to consider your use of things like keywords and you know, so like, you, you know, that opera effect counts as this, like, discoloration that happens on TV, right? Or the soap opera effect. Um, you know, counting these sorts of things in there and going, okay, this is my use. You can call it, I need to use these keywords. You can call it, you know, use frequency. You can call it whatever you want. But when people refer to keyword densities, I think that's more what they're referring to. Now, I don't use the word keyword density anymore because it has an inherent 3.5, right? Um, sort of content, you know, sort of perspective to it. But that's one of the things that I think almost becomes a, a problem is we're all technically right. Um, you know, I, I just had a, had a sort of quote unquote argument, um, you know, uh, about, uh, you know, I, I won't get into it, but like a, a specific technical um, term where I'd gone, oh, okay, here's a tool that actually does this, this specific thing. Um, and immediately, like a bunch of people were like, that's just crap. And I'm like, well, we can test this and I'm going to find out. But it was, again, one of those, in my opinion, and a lot of this is just like, well, you got to prove it, right? Like, and fair enough, and I will be testing it. But mm -hmm. if something makes sense, like, it doesn't have to be an absolute every time. And I think that's where we, we sort of can get misled, where something seems like bad information, but it's not bad information if you interpret it right. And where I was interpreting it, and I'd, I'd taken this and it's like, it's just looking at the, the sort of term frequencies, um, you know, on pages across the top 10 and, and letting you know which terms are, are being used and which frequencies. And basically here's how Google would expect, um, you know, logically things to go. Got destroyed as they don't use that in their algorithm. Yeah, I totally agree they don't use that in their algorithm, but the top 10 is using terms like this. So now let's look through those terms and actually make sense of why, right? Why for this specific term was DNS used on every site but yours? And would that be something that would be expected? I'm not saying you can measure this to eight instances on a page, but what I am saying is you can look at these tools and go, 
okay, I can be inspired by, would this be something Google should expect to appear on that page? Why am I not using it? Okay, and maybe there's a good reason. Maybe your page is about a different thing, but the top 10 is using it, so maybe you need to build a new page. <laughs> not, a repl like, not a replacement of that one, but maybe you need a new page on your site that does use that if you actually want to rank for that term because it, it's, it's you know one that would be used. I, I have a client in a, in a space um, where we're going after both, and this is unpaid search, but same basic principle, where we're going after some generic terms where people would be looking for information, for information, you know, surveys or whatever, like samples and templates and, and things like that. And then we're actually going after service-based phrases, right? Um, we're now having to build completely different landing pages because his quality scores are doing pretty good for these specific ones because his landing pages are about his services but they're not about just general, what if you're coming in with a general intent and you might just want to download a template. So his quality scores are like one and two for those because he's not fulfilling all the intents. The same thing cascades over into, into SEO as well. Um, so I think that's where we may have um, some sort of misinformation and, and I see it a lot and I, I engage in them and I've been guilty of it myself where I engage into an argument where technically I'm right, but I'm not actually hearing what is being said, mm -hmm. right? As a, sure. what I mean is in this application, this is what we're talking about. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's definitely one of the, one of the things that, because uh, I know what we're meaning to talk about here is what's the worst advice. But to me, a lot of the worst advice actually isn't intended to be the worst advice. It's just misunderstood or misinterpreted advice. Mm -hmm. And I, I, again, I, I'm getting around the link building is dead or, you know, like just, just absolute crap. Mm -hmm. Right, just like no, I mean, heck, link building is dead. John Mueller, as of this recording, anyway, just like a few days ago, was like, "Hey, you know, pages that are blocked and you know that are that are set in in the robots is you know no uh, no index, you know they can rank because of links." Well, yeah, then links matter, so link building matters, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> let's, let's that. So that's just a core bad advice, um, you know. But, you know, outside of that, I think a lot of it is just interpretation of, of what's being said. You know, listening to Google, you end up getting a lot of bad advice. If you're brand new and you take it at its, and this is where I feel for people who are just coming in now and feel sorry for me back when, when I was just starting is, you know, you listen to Google and it's like, well, here's like, you know, some, some piece of advice and I can just picture all of these SEOs going, okay, we need to do that. And it's like, oh, well, you need to listen to what they're not telling you. Right? Like, just, you, you know, listen just a little bit harder to what they didn't say or, or, or whatnot. Um, because usually that's, that's where the, where the thing is. So and again, it's the advice wasn't bad. It's technically right, mm -hmm. but they just didn't tell you everything. A, a great example of that was it, it's the, the typical UX debate is UX a ranking factor, right? Like, is it a ranking factor? And then you got Gary going, no, Right. Rand Fishkin's full of crap. Right. He said it. I don't know what Rand had said that he said that, but that's yeah. basically yeah. what Gary said. Um, but then you have John coming out and going, well, you know, it, it's not something we would use for an individual site. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but it is something we would use to determine the success of our results. Okay. To me, what I hear from that is if we've decided that this search result should have a low bounce rate, right? Like it, it would require something where people are like bopping in and actually reading some real information. They need to land on a Wikipedia article or like an, an extensive article or, or document for the, for this type of query. Mm -hmm. 
then pogo sticking would be bad, right? So, okay, now they're going to judge the whole search result and go, okay, these kind of search results aren't bad because, you know, we or are bad because we've got, you know, 44 out of the top 10 or have this high pogo sticking. We need to adjust our whole algorithm. Okay, if you're one of those four, it's not the, the bad UX or user experience or click-through rates impacted you directly. But when you drop out of the top 10, it sure as hell is going to feel like it. <laughs> sure. Um, so, but it's one of those, it's all the way we interpret um, what things are. So John didn't say anything wrong. Gary didn't say anything wrong. But if you don't listen in just the right way, you might get the wrong information. And I'm not even saying my interpretation is necessarily right, but just it is my interpretation. And at least I know theirs might be wrong. So I'll be keeping my eyes open for other comments, other signals, other you know tests that companies are running and, and those sorts of things to try and to try and connect the dots. Um, but, uh, but anyway, I, I think I sort of went off on a tangent, but that's sort of the, the area where I find the worst advice isn't actually necessarily the worst advice. It's just mm. the worst interpreted advice. Gotcha. Makes total sense. All right. So uh, next one, what are you most excited about in SEO or search right now? Um, you know, I, I guess there's, there's a couple of little, like pet project things that I'm super excited about. Um, it was, it was interesting. I've been taking some machine learning courses, so I'm, I'm interested in machine learning. Mm -hmm. Um, but I actually just hit a wall where I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't actually, I, I'm going to be honest. It's been a while since I've been in school when I mean like high school university here. Sure. Um, and I've hit a wall in the mathematics. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I don't know this and if i can't understand it then i can't go any further because the, like yeah i could get this right uh, but I'm, I'm i'm this is where i start losing track of why and then when i get to the higher stuff this is going to be worse um anyway and i was like okay so i'm gonna sign up for some courses so i signed up for a for a course at the university in the fall and the mary's like you have um four conferences so how's that how's that gonna work out <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay and she's like why are you going to school are you going for a degree i'm like no I'm, i don't want a degree i just want like some help with like i want to start learning more about linear algebra and calculus so i can you know get better at this um and she's like then just go to the university find one of those boards where really smart people go we'll tutor you tear off the phone number <laughs> Call up one of those really smart people who knows math and computer science and go, I need a tutor to teach me the math. I'm like, yeah, okay, that absolutely makes sense. So that's, that's the next thing. So in the meantime, um, one of the, we get to the area that I'm most interested in right now because I've sort of had to put a pin in machine learning um, until, I, until, I, until my math skills can, can be refreshed enough to remember why you turn a matrix into an inverse for this kind of calculation. Um, and so I'm starting in on some courses on JavaScript development. Okay. Um, now I'm never going to be a JavaScript developer, by the way, <laughs> like ever. I'm taking some pretty basic courses, um, but I have a, a client whose site is built in backbone and we were using phantom JS for pre-rendering. Um, anybody who is familiar with phantom JS and, and, and it's pre-rendering may have hit this, um, in, in the past, other than the cornucopia of problems that that renders. Uh, hey, the bizarre pun intended with the rendering because it's a pre-rendering engine. But, um, you know, what we ended up having hit was Phantom pre-rendering stopped. I guess it, it kind of like it, it, it stopped pre-rendering, um, but it didn't error. So Google wasn't getting the pre-rendered pages, but it wasn't erroring. Now, as the fun part, and you'll remember, again, as, as the time of this recording, last month, 
towards, I can't remember the exact date, but it was in like somewhere in the 20s, like to, to the last, you know, sort of section of the month, Google's coverage reports weren't updating mm-hmm. for like a big chunk of time. Well, it was right during that time that the pre-rendering engine failed. <laughs> so we didn't even have something warning us or to see that our index pages was just collapsing around mm-hmm. us because every time Google hit it, they were just seeing like the default page, which canonicals to the homepage and has no content. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm taking these courses now and I am stoked. It's probably one of the most exciting things for me um, because it's a brand new technology. Now, am I saying everybody should move to JavaScript? No, if you can avoid it, do it, right? Like if you can, if you can avoid it while still keeping, you know, the user experience that you need, it, it, sure. but there's a lot of great perks and it's going to be very, very interesting. I would have mentioned the move to voice, but I talked about that a little bit earlier. That's right. like from an SEO standpoint, the thing that I'm just like, all right, this is awesome. Um, but JavaScript is, um, probably one of the most uniquely interesting things that I don't understand enough about it. Just cliff notes. If you're using phantom JS, don't, uh, <laughs> It's just my personal experience. You know, go to Puppeteer. That's just like, yeah, you know, just a quick little, little like little tip. Um, because what I actually found, I guess this is just like a little tip for for folks. What I found is we've switched to Puppeteer now, and the rankings are actually higher than they were mm. before the collapse. So something inherent in this pre-rendering engine or system um, is just inherently better. I haven't fully had a chance to analyze it yet because we're talking literally like just a few days of deployment, but we don't even have all the pages back and our rankings are higher. So <laughs> interesting. Okay. Um, so one other area that we might as well hop into since you mentioned machine learning, uh, Jeremy Knopf, your good friend of Spartan media and Tony Wright of right. IMC both wanted me to ask you about AI. So uh, I'll give you pretty much free reign, but I know you've been, you know, writing a lot about this topic, and researching on it. Um, what are sort of your general thoughts on how AI is and will be uh, impacting search in the, you know, the near term and maybe longer term? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, and I love it. Um, what I th- Obviously, really, we've, we've covered that part. Um, what I think, first, let's, let's sort of cover like a, a quick differentiation um, here just for our, our listening audience who, sure. who might not know we have AI and we have machine learning right like these are these are you know rank brain was introduced as machine learning into into the algorithm um, so the big difference here is just for our, our listening audience and I don't believe and Google hasn't like called me out to, to let me know but I don't believe we're actually seeing any AI directly in the in implemented into search we would have things that kind of look like it but aren't actually it they're just really elaborate machine learning systems machine learning systems are actually just basically and and why this is there's an important important differentiation there is ai would be able to make decisions on its own basically like you you can say machine learning does but it it's not right it's basing it on data and basically a programmed set of sort of criteria. Now it may be writing its own and then that's when it starts to look like AI, but it's still not, it's not free thinking. Right. Um, it, it's still sort of confined by a, a set of rules and, and programs. Um, whereas, yeah, I, so there, there is a bit of a differentiation there that, that is, is sort of important. And we see it in, in two different ways. And, and it's, it's really, really 
fascinating to watch the different ones. And, and I mean, there's two core models that, that you have in, in machine learning systems, right? You have your supervised model and you have your unsupervised model. Um, and, and we get to see both of them. And, and if you look at rank brain, that would be fall more into the supervised model. And what the difference is, is with supervised, you give the system like a whole bunch of sets of criteria right? and you go, okay, here's a bunch of examples and here's a bunch of known answers, right? Like here's, here's the set and here's the right answer, right? So here's all the, you know, here's all 2 million, right? Whatever ranking factor. I just pick an absolutely stupid number because, you know, if I tried to guess anything that might actually be a realistic number, I'd be jumped all over. So I'm going to pick 2 million ranking factors. Um, you know, here they all are. And here's a known good set of search results, right? Like just, just this is the best set of search results. And then you give it a whole bunch of those. Um, and then that's its training set. And then you pull back and go, okay, we're not going to give you the answers anymore. So we're just going to give you these and you're going to guess the answers. And then, you know, we're going to then give you the answer, right? And, and, and you're going to then try and adjust to get closer and closer to, to the right answer, right? And eventually it, it beats human beings, which it did, um, was, was better than human written algorithms. And then, and then you, you deploy it. With an unsupervised model, we see that in news and it's by necessity, right? Like it, when you think about it, Google clusters similar articles. Well, there, there's no way that they knew, and I'm making up news here, right? Like I, I don't actually have a, a news result in front of me right now, but you know, they don't know in advance that Elon Musk is going to say some bizarre thing on Twitter about Tesla that involves SpaceX, right? Like that all these things are going to be appearing in a whole set of articles, but yet it will cluster them. There's no way you can train a system to do that. So that gets into more or less. There are some training sets you would you would sort of write criteria, but that would fall more under the um, unsupervised, right? You just have to sort of go, here's what a good result looks like. Off you go. Anyway, so I don't know that everybody really wanted to hear a lot about the different models in, in machine learning, but understanding those, we can sort of cascade it forward. We have, like right now, we're on the cusp of some amazing things. And there are some patents and where it's going to get in is part of what makes me so excited about voice is we're going to have to, by necessity, see deeper and deeper integration of machine learning because they're having to react to us, right? Really, really rapidly. Um, because if I'm going, I want shoes. Okay. It has to like look up the entity shoes and then, okay. It like clusters all those results together. Okay. Red ones. Okay. Now it may, it needs to, actually be able to start reacting and carrying forward going okay he doesn't mean red ones just okay now i should change my search results and show all things that are red it's the shoes the shoes should be red right like and, and carrying those forward so that's where i think the real power of machine learning there it's been doing some great things in search results as we know from ranked brain right like it it did better results mm -hmm. um and, and it was powering 15 percent, and then they deployed it in the whole system it was that good um but when we start getting into understanding my time, location, preferences in the past, and current journey that I'm likely on, that's why I really think we're we're starting to see machine learning really show what its its power can be. Mm -hmm. But we'll never get there until people are doing the things that machine learning will really, really start start showing us and learning itself what to do, right? Machine learning is at its earliest forms. It's doing some amazing things, but it's still really early on. Like it was, it was only four years ago that we introduced it, but we, like I had anything to do with it, but, <laughs> but it was introduced into the algorithm. Right. Right. So, you know, we're, we're still in, in its infancy, even just the hardware alone, 
um, is so rapidly evolving, like the hardware in, involved in making machine learning systems work, um, is evolving so rapidly that the capabilities are just starting to really be, be realized. Um, and that's just going to cascade forward. But it's, it's when we, in my opinion anyway, when we start to head into um, much more voice-oriented um, search results, and not even just voice, but much more... I'll call it space space, much more intrusive forms of, of, of search, right? Where I am starting to get fed data that I may not necessarily have asked for explicitly, but is implied that I want to see. We see a bit of that in, in the ads um, right now where it's like, you're on this journey, so we'll, we'll feed you this because we think that's the journey you're on, but you may or may not be. They have a number of patents that sort of chronicle this pattern. Um, of steering human beings to to the best desired option. They 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 call it basically we're going to stop you from making a mistake. But you know at the same time there were two patents at the same time. One of them to stop you from making mistakes. The other one to like pitch you services through ads. Right. So I'm like okay these are <laughs> kind of kind of the same uh, the same thing. But that anyway I, I may have made it sort of like a, a roundabout answer. But mm -hmm. the the thing I'm most watching for um, is when. Um, when we as a, as a, as a user base, as a, as a species starts actually using our devices to their full capacity. And when our devices have that capability to actually communicate more seamlessly with each other, again, they can all do it. The technology is there. We just don't, right? Like it's just not, we're not all doing it right now, right. but when we are all doing it, that's, that's when I really think machine learning um, is going to show its, its true power. Mm -hmm. um, by interpreting us as a whole um, and, and, and starting to serve us rather than, I mean, whether this is good or bad, but starting to serve us um, even when we don't know we want to be served. Right. Cool. All right. Uh, a couple more reader questions. Uh, Gary Shuklink, and I hope I'm remembering how to pronounce that correctly from TD Bank Group, uh, wanted to know how many monitors is the right amount for SEO? Yeah, that's that's actually a great question. There is a threshold, um, and it depends on your task. Like to to, to list of my ones, I used to have six. Right, I had two rows of of three, um, and I have shrunk down. I, I I now have a forty two on the bottom, um, and three uh, three monitors on the top row. But right now is a great example. I have my right monitor off. I find it it actually has as a, a as a distraction, I, uh -huh. multitasking is hurting me. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm doing an audit, I turn it on because now I've got spreadsheets, I have tools, I have, like, I just end up needing it. And I divide my bottom monitor into, you know, sort of two, you know, mm -hmm. just the software is built in. So now I have five, but that's when I'm having to compare lots of different data points and have a place to write them down. So when I'm doing an audit, right, and I'm doing a, a backlink analysis and I'm, you know, moving data between sheets and that's just to save me time. It, it's faster to just, slide my mouse over, you know, like I have high sensitivity. So like half an inch, so it moves to a different monitor than it is to switch tabs, reset my brain and then mm -hmm. around. So it, it just becomes faster, but it can become problematic, or at least I found certainly when I had six that I was thinking I was being more productive, but I wasn't. Hmm. Right? When I actually thought about it, having Facebook open all the time is a horrible, horrible idea. Oh, yeah. In fact, I actually blocked Facebook in my host's file. 
Um, so it, it keeps me blocked and I keep a copy of it on my desktop and I keep like a link to the folder so I can easily go in, but I have to consciously decide, mm -hmm. ah, I'm going to actually go to Facebook now. Sometimes I want to post something. Sometimes it's lunch, right? Like, and I'm just going to sure. like bugger about. Um, but yeah, it, it can become problematic or having email open, which I always used to have. I thought that made me better because I saw stuff right away. No, sitting down and spending a solid hour buried into this client's analytics is good use of my time. Getting right. distracted by an email that could wait till I'm done is not. Right. right? So it, you do hit that threshold. There's nothing wrong. Like as an SEO, I highly recommend five. That seems to be like the cutoff I found. Okay. I highly recommend five, but I would keep, well, like four in my case, but I have an ultra wide. Um, and I do recommend if you do paid search, ultra wide, get an ultra wide. I actually want like a 52 inch now, but I won't get one because Mary would kill me. But um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so that when you're comparing date ranges, anybody who paid search would be like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Because when you're comparing date ranges and you want a lot of columns, scrolling sucks. Like scrolling oh, yeah. right? sucks. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to have a big wide monitor, but have a lot of them. But for your day-to-day -day stuff, I actually often just have my one in the middle, like my top middle, and then my widescreen. I often just have just those, so basically three monitors okay. um, on at any given time for just my day-to-day -day stuff. So it's shut off the ones that might be a distraction. Um, and then when you need them, though, like when I'm doing an audit, it's incredibly powerful. Saves me hours um, while doing an audit to have, to have access to essentially five monitors. Very cool. All right. Uh, one more reader question. Chuck Price of Measurable SEO wants to know if you had unlimited resources to build an SEO tool that does not currently exist, what would it be? That's a great, great question with unlimited resources. It's funny because I've actually got three tools that I'm like looking at having developed right now that just don't exist and it's bothering me. It was one of those like, well, like I was actually just looking for it and then going, really? Nobody's built that, eh? All right, well, that's what we're doing now. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, um, if I had unlimited resources, I would probably, see, and this is just going to seem easy. I would hire, I don't know, a, a bunch of, of machine learning experts. Andrew Ng from, from Stanford would probably be one of them anyway. Um, he's written one of the courses I'm taking right now. That's why I pick him. I'm like, he's really smart. Um, hire some machine learning experts. Um, probably, I've got unlimited resources here, right? So I'm going to just go out and I'm, I'm going to buy, uh, I'm going to pronounce this correctly. So if Melissa Falk is listening, she can take this as an education. I would purchase SEMrush. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Ahrefs and probably Majestic just to collect their database. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fire, basically recreate, uh, send out some crawlers because I have unlimited resources, send out some very robust crawlers and indexers, mm -hmm. and then just have ranking reports constantly running, just constantly running, and then use the machine learning systems to reverse engineer mm -hmm. what the algorithm was. Is probably what I would do, just build my own index and then use machine learning to reverse engineer the algorithm. It, you would never be able to do it perfectly because it would require understanding what factors are involved. Right. Which would be really, really hard to do. And that's why you need some real machine learning experts. If you, you could deal with low level machine learning, if, if you knew the factors going in and you'd go just figure out which measurements apply in each sector and industry. And uh, you know, it, it would actually be fairly simple, but you would actually need machines that could look for common trends you didn't 
add, right? Like the, I didn't know that this could be a factor. You would need a machine learning system that could actually look for things you didn't add. Um, so that's uh, the only reason I would purchase those companies because I've uh, got unlimited resources and you might as well start out, right? Plus, hey, once I've got this system, I now own a bunch of tools and I can push it out to their users. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, which would also be, be pretty, pretty handy. But yeah, that's probably like it, it would require too many resources, but he said unlimited. So I'm going to pick that one. <laughs> that's a good one. I like it. Uh, final question for me. What's next for Dave Davies? that's a good question um like obviously i i like have paths um you know sort of sort of forward um diversification a bit um and 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 by that i i don't mean like leaving what we're doing um but i do have sort of a be in my bonnet right now um to get so there's there's been over the last few months and, and I just hit the last one and it finally like tipped me over to going okay I'm finally going to just start building tools um, because they just don't exist um, and, and that is what um, the, the, I mean by diversification and it doesn't actually draw me away from my original one because I'm not a developer nor do I ever want to be <laughs> so um, but we'll be building out um, a, a tool set. Now, whether I ever make that a paid tool set right now, the plan isn't to, or whether I just go, okay, like I'll, I'll like share this with somebody else right now. Like the first tool I'm building is just to help people whose pre-rendering engines might fail. No, <laughs> no faster. Like you'll know within five minutes kind of thing. Right. Um, so, and that I would just be totally offering them, you know, for free, but, um, what that means down the road, I'm not sure, but, um, fortunately, I don't find myself in a spot right now um, where I actually want a lot of change. Like when, and it's what made that question, it's a really interesting time to be asking me that question. I would be in my bind to get stuff done, but it's mainly because everything is just going so well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and I honestly mean, oh, we're making gobs of money. Like we're living, you know, health, certainly healthy, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's mostly just about every, all the clients are, are doing you know well and they're doing what they're supposed to do and the skill sets and the company are all working to get done with those to get done. So I, uh, you know, I'm going to learn JavaScript and the machine. That's my own thing. Right? Like I, there's, that's not, has nothing to do with what I'm doing. I'm just interested in it. Um, so everything's just going well. So, okay, now's the time to like build tool sets, I guess, or like build some tools. Cause I, I feel like doing that and it's bothering me that they don't exist yet. Um, but for the most part, if I had to pick, if it was like, you can't, you know, just talking beanstalk here, what's, what's that just specifically just that one thing. Um, just, just keep doing that. <laughs> Cause it's just going exactly as, as I want it to right now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and, well, you know, Mary, like I've got a, you know, business partner I, that I really like. Um, so we get along well. And, and, and so just, okay, we'll just, you know, keep that, keep that going and, you know, keep growing at a, it's a fairly modest rate that we're growing at. And, you know, because I've grown up from that like emotional collapse of, of, you know, years ago, mm -hmm. um, you know, that just growth at a modest pace that I can sustain and feel good about and control everything that's going on around me. It sounds uh, really good. And I don't want it to be any, any different. Now I say that if somebody came in and went, Hey, we've got this client, that's a behemoth again. 
<laughs> yeah, would I turn it down? <laughs> That's when the proof would be in the pudding. Right. Yeah, probably the answer. The answer would probably be yes. Now let's figure out how to do this. Right. right. Hey, I'm going to have to call in a bunch of favors from a bunch of like experts I know to help me here. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, so you know, we will we'll see. I always like to remain flexible. Of course, we have to in our industry. But, no. um, but yeah, I, I don't actually have a trajectory other than sustained modest growth because it's working out really well good uh remind people where they can find you on social media or anywhere else online or and if there's anything else that you'd like uh, people to check out in particular uh, now's your chance to plug away no um, well, you can obviously find our site at beanstockim.com i say obviously but listeners might not have known that mm-hmm. um and yeah my twitter handle is beanstockim that's the letter i and m <laughs> Although I ended up actually purchasing the domain Beanstalk I A M, like I am, just because uh-huh. I was like, okay, the, when I say this out loud, people are going <laughs> to go into the wrong place. Maybe not the email forwarding, and I do find that I, I get some there. Um, and of course, you know, I'm on I'm on Facebook, so you can you can hunt me down uh, hunt me down there uh, as well. Um, and if I don't add you back, it's you know, send me a, a note or something somewhere and go. I actually am not a spammer, and you better not be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, yeah, those people drive me nuts. Um, and if you uh, do find me on LinkedIn, um, if you find me there, if your first introductory message is a pitch, I will immediately remove the connection, just as a warning. <laughs> For any listeners, I don't know if it, like anybody else says that, but I'm like, oh, it was a pitch, done. Like I don't even care anymore past sure. that. Like I just like, um, you know, if you didn't pay any attention to like, like ask me anything about what what I want. So um, anyway, and that's not being a jerk. That's just being. Like, I don't like spam. I don't do it, so I don't like it. Um, yeah, and that's that's where to find me, and uh, feel free to reach out. Happy to answer any questions. Awesome. All right. Well, just in closing, Dave, as you know, you're one of my favorite people in this industry, and I respect the hell out of you. Uh, always just look forward to reading and editing your posts because you always have something you know, really useful to say. Uh, so thank you, my friend, for all you've done and will continue to do at Search Engine Journal and helping the industry as a whole uh, evolve. And I look forward to seeing you at PubCon later this year. Awesome. See you then. All right, Dave, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your story. I sincerely appreciate it, and I hope everyone listening has enjoyed uh, this conversation as much as I did, because this was a great one. Uh, That does it uh, for us on this edition of Better Know an SEO Pro on the Search Engine Journal Show. Thanks uh, for listening today. Really appreciate it. Uh, Please tune in again next week, and if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our podcast, and you can always follow Search Engine Journal on Twitter at SE Journal, and of course, we're on Facebook and LinkedIn, and if you want to follow me, I am at Mr. Danny Goodwin on Twitter. Uh, Thanks again for listening. So long, everybody. Thank you.